It's good to see each one this morning. Appreciate you being here. And it's good to have my dad with us this morning. You know, Brother Tom Haithcock told me I was going to have to behave now. <laughs> I don't know what he meant. It never stopped me from misbehaving before. <laughs> no, it's, it's good to have my dad with us this morning. It's good to have each of you this morning. You know, in Hebrews, the sixth chapter, in verse 11, the Hebrews writer talks about the fact of assurance. Now, he talks about in hope, or in full assurance of hope. And the word assurance carries with it meaning such as certainty. We might could add guarantee in there. and We all like to be assured of certain things in life. We buy insurance policies because we want to make sure that we've got some kind of protection. We like assurance. It gives us security. We know that in our day and time, there has been a lot of study and a lot of research and a lot of talk about security and insecurity when it comes to people. Some people are more insecure in life than others. But as Christians, we should never feel like we don't have the assurance of God. The Apostle Paul tells us that God cannot lie. So when we look and read through His Word, we see the promises that He has made to us, and we can be assured that God's going to keep those promises. Why? Because He cannot lie. Unfortunately, there are those who misunderstand God's Word and take it that God is all love, and when judgment day comes, that God is going to let everyone into heaven. Well, that's a false assumption. That is false security. Because God is also a God of justice. That means that where justice is due, God will follow through with that. He has promised that the righteous will have eternal life, and He has promised that the unrighteous will have eternal condemnation. And God will keep His promises. But as Christians, we can be assured of many things. But this morning specifically, I want to look at the blessed assurance of heaven. We find in God's Word that God talks about heaven a lot. And I was thinking about this, and I thought, well, could God have given us certain parts of His Word without really ever letting us know about heaven. He could. He could have told us just how to be morally. He could have told us what we need to do to become a child of God, and He has. But that doesn't necessarily mean He would have to tell us about eternity and the fact that there is a place called heaven. But He has. Why? As the Hebrews writer says, in full assurance of hope. Because we have something to look forward to. I know that you are like I am, and you have wondered what atheists look forward to when they die. They have to look forward to a non-existence. Because they don't believe in God, certainly they're not going to believe in hell. Because why would you believe in hell and not believe in God? I wonder, what do they look forward to in their passing. 
Well, we don't have to worry about that. God has let us know about heaven. He has let us uh, know. He let us know that uh, it is where He is, and that we can follow Him and spend eternity in heaven. Now, when we look at what oftentimes we refer to as the scheme of redemption, that really it just means God's whole plan. For the, for the beginning of man all the way through to the time that he ends this physical universe, this physical earth, all the way through eternity. That's God's plan. There are scriptures that show us that God is eternal and that His purpose is eternal. We'll look a little more at that in a moment in Ephesians, the third chapter, verses 10 and 11. But we look at God's scheme of redemption all the way from the beginning, all the way through. And God has planned out everything. Nothing is left to chance. Those who believe that the church was set up as an afterthought really say some things about God I don't think they realize they're saying. They say that the church was established because the Jews rejected Christ and His kingdom, so therefore God had to come up with another plan. Well, that shows if that were true, God would be inept. God wouldn't be God because He would not be all-knowing. He would not be all-powerful. But we know from the Scriptures that that is not the case. God is all-knowing. He has planned out everything. I like to look at it as a puzzle because things fit in the right time in the right place. You know, working puzzles, uh, a physical puzzle, that you can't put a wrong uh, piece in the wrong spot and have it come out right. Now, children are good at that because they'll force it in. <laughs> you know, they're going to make it fit. But we as adults know in order to make that puzzle right, the pieces have to fit. We can't just put, a, put them anywhere we want and say, this is it. Now I've finished. Well, God gives us that blessed assurance through different things. And we're going to look at a few of those this morning. First of all, as we look at the scheme of redemption, we can see from the very beginning that God knew what He was doing. By creating man and woman, being in the garden, the sin... And, and from that point on, after Adam and Eve sinned, God giving us a promise of the Savior. Genesis 3.15. And this wasn't something God just all of a sudden thought of. As I said before, God is all-knowing. God has everything planned out. And He told Satan, He says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. And it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. In other words, Christ would suffer some things because of Satan. But Satan would suffer more than Christ. It would be a death blow to Satan. Christ coming up out of that tomb. That was a death blow to Satan. And we're told in scriptures in the book of John that Christ... One of the reasons that He came was to destroy the works of Satan. And when He came out of that grave, He destroyed the works of Satan. 
Now, did that mean that people would never sin just because Christ died on the cross to take away sin and to destroy the works of Satan? No, that's not what John was talking about. He was saying that Satan no longer has the control over people that he did at one time because people have free will and choice. But when we look at God's promise of the Messiah, it's all the way through the Scriptures. One of the greatest verses and most important verses that we have in Scriptures is Isaiah 7.14. Now, unfortunately, there are those who have tried to downgrade this verse, but we find in Isaiah 7.14, Isaiah says, Therefore the Lord Himself shall show you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and call his name Emmanuel. Now some people have tried to make that really mean less than what it is because they want to take the word virgin there and change the meaning of that, which would change the whole scheme of redemption if they're able to succeed. But we see that God, through the prophets, prophesied of the coming Messiah, His scheme of redemption. If you have your Bibles, turn over to Ephesians, the third chapter. We have looked at this, these verses before, but I like sometimes to look at them again, kind of in slow motion. Because this is where we find, or one of the verses we find where God's purpose has always been what it is. It never was something that God had to think of or the Godhead had to think of on the spot. They didn't get together and say, okay, what are we going to do now? It never was that way. Beginning in verse 10, as Paul writes, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be made known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, now this is the key verse, according to the eternal purpose which He purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, if He's talking about the eternal purpose, that shows very plainly that God is eternal because you can't have one without the other. God's eternal purpose. It has always been God's plan for Christ to come and redeem man from his sins. There are those who teach that Christ is a created being, that He did not exist until He was born physically. Well, there are several verses that show that that's not the case. Peter, for instance, 1 Peter 1 and verse 20, says about Christ, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world. In other words, Christ was in eternity. And if we go and we study John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, we see Christ's eternality there. We see the actually the eternality of the Godhead. But as Peter says, talking about Christ being foreordained before the foundation of the world, and this gets back to where I was talking about the pieces fit. At the latter part of that verse, he says, but was manifest in these last days for you. That's God's plan. People have asked, well then why didn't 
God sent Christ right after Adam and Eve sinned. It was not in His timetable. It was not according to God's plan. Could He have done that? I guess He could. God can do all things, but would it have fit in His plan? I don't know. But we do know, according to Scriptures, that He was foreordained in these last days for us. The timing was right. Why did God have the gospel going to the Gentiles after the Jews? Because it was God's plan. So when we look at the scheme of redemption, we can have blessed assurance of heaven because that plan or that scheme, oftentimes we look at the word scheme negatively. You know, somebody scheming to do something, deceive someone. That's not the definition of the word here. But it's a plan, God's plan for salvation. So we can be assured of heaven because God has presented that to mankind. Another reason we have blessed assurance of heaven is that Christ actually did die on the cross. Although there have been critics through the centuries that have tried to deny that, and sometimes not denying that Christ was on the cross, but He died. I've got a book that contains different theories of really what happened at the cross. And believe it or not, there are such things as, well, Christ didn't die, He just fainted. Well, I tell you what, being crucified would be enough to kill anybody. And if you have not studied the actual act of crucifixion, it is very horrible what happens to the body. But we know that Christ did die on that cross. It was prophesied, if you want to read about one of the prophecies or one of the prophets who prophesied of Christ, read Isaiah 53. Remember the eunuch? He was in his chariot reading Isaiah 53. And Philip goes and says, do you understand what you're reading? He says, not unless somebody helps me. And what does it say? He's reading the scroll of Isaiah. It's not that long of a, a chapter, but it is full of some of the most amazing insight to the crucifixion of Christ that we have. Also, in Luke, the 24th chapter, after Christ uh, has been crucified, and He's talking with His disciples, the apostles. He re reminds them of the things that uh, were prophesied of Him, the things that He taught them, and about the prophecies in the Law of Moses and the Psalms. Now, we know that the apostles were a little bit scattered after the crucifixion. Uh, rightly so. I don't want to stand up and say, well, I wouldn't have been. <laughs> different time, different circumstances. Did that mean that these men were not godly? Absolutely not. But if you have your Bibles, turn over to Luke 24th, the 24th chapter and, and, and read along with me for a moment. I'll give you a moment to get there. Christ is appearing to them. Beginning in verse 44, He said unto them, These are the words which I spake 
unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Now this is an important fact. Remember, and Preston brought it out in his lesson this morning about John 16, where the uh, apostles were promised the Holy Spirit, and they would be guided into all truth. Notice this, Then he opened their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. And he saith unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. So those things were prophesied, and that's what happened. So Christ died on that cross, he was buried, and he arose the third day. We can go to 1 Corinthians 15, which is probably one of the greatest chapters on the resurrection, and Paul says the same thing about Christ being raised the third day. So we see that Christ died on the cross. Romans 5.8, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Why? Because of God's love. We were sinners and Christ died for us, as Paul writes to the church at Rome. And then in Matthew 26, verse 28, Christ is establishing the Lord's Supper. And he talks about the blood that is shed for the remission of sin for many. He's the blood, it's the blood of the New Testament, the New Covenant. So we see that the Bible speaks very heavily of the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. So therefore, we have blessed assurance of heaven because of this. And in the, Hebrew, the Hebrews writer tells us, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Hebrews 9.22. So, when we look at, from the very beginning, basically, when Adam and Eve came out of the garden... The sacrifices that were done at that time and then also the sacrifices that were contained under the law of Moses in a sense was teaching mankind about the ultimate blood sacrifice that would come at the time that it did and that would be the blood of Christ. There were many that did understand the prophecies but a lot didn't. But we see that the blood of Christ to shed be shed for the remission of sins for the world, was prophesied very heavily. So we can have assurance of heaven because Christ died on the cross. And something that people might not, and certainly man probably wouldn't come up with something like this, and that's the church. It is a divine institution. No other institution like it. Uh, like it, no, no other institution would ever be like it. But because Christ established the church, and when we look at the establishment of the church, we can see that Jesus said that he would build his church, and he did that. Acts 2 tells us of the establishment of the church. It was prophesied, Isaiah 2, 2 and 3, and other uh, verses in the Bible tell us about the church. And why is the church so important? Well, first of all, it's where the saved are. There are no unsaved people in the church. Now, with the different philosophies and religions in the world, that's not the case. People do not understand the true church. In this country alone, you could get as many opinions of the church as you ask people. If you walk down the street, because people do not understand the true church. That is why over the centuries that people have looked at the church and made statements such as 
uh, well, you think you're the only ones going to heaven. Do I have to be a member of the church to go to heaven? I don't have to be a member of the church to go to heaven. So on and so forth. So many different statements that have come from people because they do not understand the Lord's church. Well, we see the prophecy of it from Jesus Himself, Matthew 16, 18. We see the establishment of it. Acts the second chapter. And it's because Christ died for the church. He didn't just establish it. He gave His life for it. In Ephesians 5.25, when Paul says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ hath loved the church, and gave Himself for it. He gave Himself for it. Also in Acts 20, verse 28, when Paul is talking to the, Ephesians, the Ephesian elders, he talks about them taking the oversight. And he mentions there the church of God, which was purchased by His blood. So we see that it is a blood-bought institution. Also, when we look at the fact of it contains the saved, in Acts 2.47, the Lord added unto the church daily such as should be saved. Now, common sense tells you that that's where the saved are. If a person's not saved, they're not in the church. That's why people are confused, because they don't understand the church. They think that any religious organization is okay, as long as they're a member of that, they're okay. Or that they don't have to be a member of any religious body, they're okay, as long as they believe, have some type of awareness of God, and some will even go farther than that and, and say they have a personal relationship with God and Christ, but they don't want to be part of His church. I understand that from the world's perspective because of the way that man has perverted religion. Because the way man has perverted God's Word. If a person doesn't know the truth and they look at the world, you can understand them believing that it doesn't matter. Because how many denominations do we have in this country anyway? I don't really know. Thousands, I would say. I could be wrong, but I tell you what, just about every corner in this country of... In every corner of a city in this country usually has a church building of some type close to it. I don't see how a person could live in this country and not know that church buildings exist. But we see that Christ established a church. Also in 2 Timothy 1.9, Paul talks about, and he's, as he's writing to Timothy, and he talks about those who are saved. He said, talking about God has saved us. Now, if you're not quite sure whether you're saved and you're a member of the church, you need to understand, as a member of the Lord's body, you're saved. If you're, if you're living correctly, you may be secretly living in a way that is going to cost you your soul. But when we become members of the body of Christ, we are saved. Now, we won't realize that and be able to experience that eternal salvation until we uh, face God at judgment. But we can know that we are saved. As a Christian, and you're faithful, you should never have any doubt in your mind that you are saved. It's not a matter of perfection. It's not a matter of doing every little thing right. But we do have to be faithful. And we do have to grow spiritually and continue to grow. But the saved are in the church. They're not outside. Outsiders, those who have not been saved, are not in the church. 
So we can have assurance of heaven because we have been saved and are in the church. Christ establishing that church with his own blood. As a child of God, we enjoy certain blessings that the outside world does not enjoy. One is forgiveness of sins. And I know that you are like I am. You hear day in and day out people saying that God has forgiven them of their sins. Well, we know what it takes to be forgiven of sins. And if we happen to know that person has not done what God has commanded, that person is not enjoying the blessings of God's forgiveness. It's sad. We would like, and I know that you would like all people to go to heaven. I don't want to see anybody condemned because I know how bad it's going to be. Because God tells me how bad it's going to be. If you took the worst day in your life and you had to live that day over and over and over again, it would never even compare to what hell's going to be like. You know, we always say if a person could spend five or ten sackets in hell, they'd be a different person. Well, I agree with that. But I also like to think if everybody could spend ten sackets in heaven, you think they'd be a different person? I was, I'm always suspicious, and of course I know that people do not die and come back to life. But those who have said that they died and they saw a bright light and someone spoke to them and they come back, I have never heard those people say, well, I spoke to God, I spoke to Christ. They told me to come back and obey the gospel, to, to become a member of the Lord's church, the only true church. I've never heard any of them say that. Don't you think if God's going to talk to them and send them back to this earth, that he'd say something like that? Because they certainly didn't believe it beforehand. Amazing. But we enjoy the forgiveness of God's grace. Or, or the, great, the forgiveness that comes from God's grace. People will say, well, do I have to obey the gospel? Well, 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9 says we have to because... In effect, says this is what's going to happen to those who don't. So common sense tells us, well, what's the opposite of that? You know, Second Thessalonians one seven through nine says they're going to suffer eternal condemnation, separation, if you don't obey the gospel. So what's the opposite of that? If you do obey the gospel, you're not going to face that. Hebrews five nine. The Hebrews author makes it very plain. Talking about Christ is the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey Him. Well, I love Christ. I love God. I, I follow the Bible. But there are commandments that they haven't followed. Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. I don't believe you have to be baptized. I thought you said that you followed God, that you obeyed Christ. Okay? We can see the difference there. Must obey the gospel. And in obeying the gospel, it's not a matter of once saved, always saved, that you go through what God has commanded us, and then after that you've got it made. You don't have to do anything. There's a gospel preacher one time, I, I use that term loosely, uh, and said that he could go out and commit murder, and it wouldn't affect his soul or his salvation. 
Well, there are those who hold such views, but we know that as Christians, we must continue faithfully. Revelation 2.10, be faithful even unto death. Why? Receive a crown of righteousness. But in the meantime, what are we supposed to do as Christians? We're supposed to walk in the light, 1 John 1.7. Continue that walk with God because we can't walk separate from God and be accepted by God. Even if we become a member of His body, we cannot split ways and still expect God. I certainly wouldn't expect God to save me if I'm not doing what God wants. I mean, that's a little bit ridiculous. But it is important to understand that continued obedience is absolutely necessary to serve God. When we talk about obeying the gospel, there are certain things that God has prescribed that we do. I never get tired of hearing these commands. I know that you, in the church, you'll hear them every sermon, the invitation, but I never get tired of hearing them. Why? Because it reminds me of the wonderful grace of God giving me the opportunity if I have not obeyed the gospel, to obey it. God has opened up His arms and said, here it is. A kingdom waits in heaven in eternity that we can't even begin to understand how great and marvelous. But we know that we can be a part of it. We have the assurance of heaven because of what we find in the Scriptures And the fact that we can obey those requirements, those commandments that God has set forth for us. Those being that we must believe that Jesus is the Son of God because without believing that, nothing else really matters. You know, when Paul told the the, uh, Ephesians that Christ had become of no effect to them because they had left Christ and gone back under the old system. Well... <clears throat> Same thing can happen to us today. If we re- reject Christ, he, is, he means nothing. He actually means nothing. But knowing Christ is the Son of God, that He gave His life for us, it should make a person want to do what's right. Make a person change their life and live for God by repenting of the things that are needing uh, need repentance. And then confessing Christ publicly... Romans 9, 10, 9 and 10, that we must confess with the mouth unto salvation. And then be baptized as Christ commanded, as He told us, that if we want to have salvation, that is something we have to do. And it's not just a matter of going to heaven. If you study baptism, you will study what it really does for the individual. It's not just a matter of forgiveness of sins, but it connects us with Christ through His death, burial, and resurrection. We emulate that, going down into the water, coming up out of the water. We emulate that. Romans 6, uh, verses 3 through 5, Paul says we're baptized unto His death, into His death. So there is a connection there. It's not just a matter of being forgiven of our sins. There's a tremendous connection there. If you have not done those things then I encourage you to because that's the only way you can have the assurance of heaven. And if you are a member of the body of Christ and you need to come forward at this time so that you can continue to have that assurance of heaven by repenting of those sins, it might be amiss in your life as a Christian. But whatever your need is, we pray that you'll come as we stand and sing.